You're listening to The Beauty Brains, where real scientists answer your beauty questions. And now, here's Perry and Randy. Greetings and welcome to the show, Graham. I'm cosmetic chemist Randy Schuler, and I'm here at the microphone with my chemical co-conspirator, Perry Romanowski. Hey, Randy. Wasn't that a great new intro? <laughs> I, I think... I mean, finally, somebody knows alphabetical order. So you're referring to the fact that for the first time ever, you were introduced before me. Yeah, you know, I not that I noticed, but, you know... <laughs> Well, that, uh, that comes from Georgina. Thank you, by the way, Georgina, for recording an introduction. Um, hopefully our names are the only thing that gets mixed up on today's show. And, and speaking of today's show, today we're going to share a couple of beauty science news stories. Then we're going to answer your questions about slathering your skin with superfoods, mixing hair dressing and hair gel, and the secret of semi-permanent eyebrow makeup. That, Wow. It's almost too much for one program, but... Wow, wow I can't wait to hear I it. Think, <laughs> I think we still have time to sprinkle in some chit-chat if you have anything uh, you'd like to talk about. Oh, sure. Well, you know, I just got back from a skin science conference in Los Angeles. Oh, so uh, another episode of Where in the World is Perry Romanowski? <laughs> really? I think this uh, this segment needs its own... Uh, I've thought music. about that. <laughs> you know, I mean, who knew being a cosmetic chemist would really involve so much travel? <laughs> Of course, you were a cosmetic chemist, too, and you travel from, like, one room to your living room. (laughs) And back, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, fortunately, I I do enjoy traveling. Although, I have to say, I was a bit surprised to see people watering their lawns in California. I mean... There's a drought. Considering they're... Uh, Right, they're under drought restrictions, but apparently people need their green lawns. So, no matter. So, anyway, uh, I was there for a skin science conference. Mm -hmm. So I thought it would be interesting to share some basic skin facts that I heard in the course. Oh, interesting. All right. So if you live to be 80 years old, approximately how much uh, dead skin cells do you think you've uh, you've shed in weight? In weight. So how many? Oh, that's really interesting because uh, we do shed a lot. Uh, I'm going to say 25 pounds. Good guess. Uh, according to this course, a hundred pounds of dead skin really? cells okay. oh, you shed that's... over the course of eight. These years. are the kind of tidbits that make you popular <laughs> at cocktail parties. <laughs> All right, here's here's another quizzy one for you. Um, see if you can guess where the highest density of hair follicles are on on your okay. body. So so your choices are the head, mm-hmm. your cheek, mm-hmm. your chest, mm-hmm. the side of your nose, mm-hmm. your back, or your forearm. Okay, I'll say the groin. <laughs> that wasn't oh. one of the options. So. Sorry. So surprisingly, the answer was the side of the nose. The side in inside yeah. of the nose? No, no, just on the side. What? So it, it turns out the side of the nose has twelve hundred and twenty follicles per square centimeters, and you can compare that to the head, which has two hundred and fifty follicles per square centimeter. Now, fortunately, the hair follicles on the side of your nose typically aren't active, so they're not actively growing hair. But but if they were, who boy? <laughs> I imagine that, huh? Here's another thing I found that was interesting. White beard hair grows faster than the pigmented beard hair, like twice as fast. Is there any mechanism for that? But that's intriguing. I, that's what... 
I know. I I I was shocked by that because I'm like, hmm. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. But there must be something about the extra time putting in the melanocytes. Right. Yeah, slows it down. Or the but... melanin. Oh, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Go figure. And speaking of melanocytes, I got uh, I got one more here. Um, it's not the number of melanocytes you have. Melanocytes are the skin cells that produce the, the color. Pigment, sure. It's not the number of those cells that determine your skin color. It's how much melanin they produce. Okay, so they could be active or hyperactive or unactive. Yeah. yeah. So inactive. so dark dark skin people have the same number of melanocytes mm-hmm. as lighter skin people. It's just that the melanocytes that they have are more active and produce more melanin. Does size matter? <laughs> Not when it comes to melanocytes. <laughs> Well, it's fascinating stuff. You know, I'm not sure how this helps in formulating products, but, you know, it's sort of interesting for trivia nights. Well, it certainly helps us get ahead of the hot new external nose hair trend. <laughs> exactly. I'm prepared for that. <laughs> Do you ever see those, there's that mutation that the people have the werewolf the hair, face? Uh, hirsutism or... Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And so that's why they have such a hairy face. Turns so on, turns on all right. the Oh, interesting. Yeah, there you go. Well, thank you for traveling to California and coming back with those tidbits. That's a good trip. All right. Well, hey, why don't we move on to our beauty science news? So here's a story about a company called Reviva or maybe Reviva Labs. And apparently they're in trouble over their stem cell booster serum with Swiss Apple stem cells. Okay. Well, it, it turns out they've been claiming that the product uses apple stem cells to prevent aging, which I, I think sounds like a nice alternative to some of those nasty synthetic chemicals. <laughs> There's just two problems with that, at least according to the article I read. Uh, first, there is no scientific evidence that plant stem cells can be used effectively on humans. Minor issue. Right. And secondly, they said that the product is a hoax which is being sold illegally as a cosmetic instead of an unapproved drug. Details, details. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, to make a long story short, the company's being sued for $5 million in a class action lawsuit. But it, it's a little different. I mean, we've talked about lawsuits against cosmetic companies in the past, and it's one thing when they're being sued for safety reasons. Right. But I kind of like the idea of companies being held accountable for misleading claims and, and consumers just banding together and saying, hey, we're going to sue you. Like, what? A, how, much are, how much are they suing? Well, it's for? five million. I don't know how many, you know, maybe okay. it's five million um, claimants in the lawsuit. So everybody gets a buck if they win. I, I don't know how that works. But um, but if you and the listening audience have any uh, companies that you'd like to see sued, email us at... <laughs> <laughs> it's a new way to make money well, in the, the beauty industry. Well, no kidding. You know, we've always struggled with how to monetize the beauty brands better. I, I, that gives me an idea, right? We can just partner up with some shady lawyers and target these companies making sketchy claims and get rid. You know, but you know what's interesting? People think that in the beauty industry, there's a lot of lying going on, but there might be some misleading, but there's rarely ever any direct lying, right? Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know if I would say never ever, but in, certainly in the I'd just in, say yeah, rarely, in the vast yeah. majority of cases, it's the wording that, that seems very misleading to people. And if you don't know better, yeah, you can be tricked into buying some piece of crap like this Apple stem cell product. Right, and you know, it's also interesting about stem cells is. You know, as a manufacturer, you have no way to prove that the raw material you got from your supplier 
has these stem cells in it because there's no like analytical test you can say is like oh yeah that's a stem cell to, you know there just isn't mm. so hmm, it's it's that. tough to yeah it's tough to use these ingredients so yeah i don't i don't know i i haven't seen the specific claims of this company but if they were clever claims writers i can see they could weasel Get their way, way out it. of it yeah. we'll have yeah. to see what happens well why don't we stick with the the suing thing? Boy, there sure are a lot of lawsuits in the uh, industry these days, right? So a new way for people to make uh, money. But here's a story out of Cosmetics Designed, which uh, indicates uh, Procter and Gamble, the makers of Old Spice deodorant, mm-hmm. uh, is being sued over allegations that using Old Spice deodorant is causing allergic reactions in users. Mm. Now this is a top-notch law firm because they're asking for 25 million (laughs) in damages so what they claim is that the old spice deodorant regularly and routinely causes rashes irritation burning and other injury to unsuspecting consumers i'm curious what those other injuries would be but (laughs) so hey the evidence they submitted is photos showing a severe rash caused by old spice deodorant Mm. And they claim that the company also had numerous complaints and that they should have put a warning on their package. Hmm. Now, interestingly, I do have a story about this, actually. Um, I used Old Spice deodorant. Really? And I I get a rash from it. Seriously? Uh, Seriously. In fact, I posted it up uh, when when I was first on Facebook. I posted up a picture Uh, of of that and and the rash. No, not my armpit, but of the product that caused the rash. Okay. And one of my uh, friends who was working at P&G at the time indicated it was uh, one of the glycols in there that they knew that uh, a certain po- percentage of the population, it caused a ration. Hmm. I would have guessed a fragrance uh, component. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, this was just the, what the person told me. So I, she wasn't even an R&D, right. so <laughs> I don't know. But she worked for P&G. So maybe they know something about it. But but you know what I did when, when I did that? Uh, stopped using the product? Right, I just stopped using the product. It never occurred to me to sue. And for $25 million? It just seems so strange. Now, I would say this could have a chilling effect on innovation, though, right? I mean, everyone is going to be allergic to something. Yeah. So I don't think you could... It's. I think it's impossible to create a cosmetic product that to which no one is allergic. Right, and the, but the bigger the brand, the more widespread it is, the more chance you'll see you know, that small percentage becoming evident. So you won't, you won't, you'd never see this from any product. Yeah. I mean, in the old days, if you had a reaction to something, you would just maybe send an irate letter to the company, right? No one would see that. Nowadays, we have Facebook and Twitter. It it does. Yeah. We talked about this before. It does help spread these, these cases. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that turns out. I mean, I don't see how they can get twenty five million. But. Well, I, that's beside the point. I, I do think these companies have an obligation to take any allergens out of their product as they become aware of them. But also at the same time, no company puts these things in deliberately just to irritate people. So right, and I mean, what if it? What if the product doesn't affect like ninety six percent of the people aren't allergic to an ingredient? Yeah. Do you have to take it out for that four percent? Four percent seems like a lot. If it was a tenth of a percent, that maybe. Yeah, I don't know. So there you go. The new trend in uh, the cosmetic industry is suing companies (laughs) to make money. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on to our cosmetic questions segment. All right. All right. The first question comes to us from Yana. Hello, Beauty Brains. This is Yana from the Beauty Business blog in Australia. I have been listening to your podcast for some time now, and I'm a huge fan 
I have a question about superfoods used in skincare. As cosmetic chemists, what are your thoughts on the use of ingredients such as acai, coconut, avocado and grapeseed oil, green tea, berries, turmeric and resveratrol? Thanks in advance for your reply and I'm looking forward to listening to your next podcast. Bye. You know, Randy, I, I really liked her accent. It's, it's <laughs> nice we get people, we get questions from around the world. I love that. It was nice. Thank you, Yana. Uh, so superfoods, yeah. You know, I think it's about time we talked about food from the planet Krypton. <laughs> right. Another pathetic bid to make the podcast about beauty science yeah. and comic books. So, wow, we didn't even talk about Captain America Civil War, <laughs> did we? <laughs> Uh, but seriously, though, what the heck is a superfood? You know, there's no scientific or medical definition. Uh, it's totally marketing. Yeah, it's, it's a marketing term. Um, I mean, usually you'll see it, uh, if you do look it up, you'll see it saying something like superfoods are, you know, nutrient powerhouses that pack large doses of antioxidants and vitamins and minerals and that sort of thing. But that there's no um, parameters right. around that. So... Right. Um, you know, of the things that Yana mentioned, are those all really superfoods? I don't know. I, it, you know, it's funny, though, her timing is good because I had just um, received a question from a reporter at uh, Refinery29 on this same topic. Wow. And she was asking about things that I think are, are more traditionally considered to be superfoods like kale, spirulina and chia seed. Chia? Or oh, chia? Okay. I don't know how you say that. Chia. Chia. Like a, ch ch like a chia pet. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so, so what's going on here? Well, first of all, this is not a surprising trend. Edible ingredients are, you know, are a common source of inspiration for cosmetic products for years. Um, and, and it usually takes a while for an ingredient to catch on in the food industry before it then becomes popular in personal care. But we've seen this happen before with things like pomegranate, acai berries, kiwi, dragon fruit. Um, and then to some extent, you, you see it in kind of in the vegetable world. It's, it seems more popular in fruits. Um, I mean, why does this, right, yeah. why does this happen? First of all, these things just sound like they would be good for you, right? It's very tempting. They're very visually appealing to, to a large extent. Right. There's a lot of crossover with food and cosmetics because right. on, on some level people, uh, there's the natural fallacy and people think that putting food on your body is good. Right. Somehow. So you can see how people would think that. I think secondly, you know, the food industry does a lot of stringent research, certainly more than you need to do for a cosmetic ingredient since you're eating these things. And so we have a lot of nutritional information about these so-called superfoods and it, um, it does make it easy to build a story around it. So you could see how the cosmetic world would pick up on some of this research that's been done by the food world and boom, we now have, we have a new cosmetic ingredient. But, right. uh, but really, if you look at it closely, there are at least three reasons why superfoods in beauty products are more about marketing than science. So let's go through those reasons. First, these goodies in the superfoods, just as you pointed out, Perry, they may be nutritious when you eat them, but they aren't necessarily good for your skin. Uh, I mean, just because when you eat it, you digest it, your body breaks it down and uses those components, right. you slather it on your skin, it doesn't work the same way. For example, kale, which is highly nutritious, uh, it's rich in iron. Iron doesn't do anything for your skin when you apply it topically. So <laughs> right. There's, right, really, right. there's really no benefit there. And, you know, even some any food ingredients like cinnamon is good to eat, but you don't want to put that on your skin. Well, it can, like, that can cause allergic reactions. Yeah, that's a different problem. Yeah. Uh, my second reason was that even if the superfood contains an ingredient that does benefit your skin, that ingredient may not be effective when applied topically. So, 
and uh, you know there has to be a, a a mechanism for how the ingredient would work when applied to skin, and it has to penetrate the skin to get where it needs to work. Another example of that would be uh, green tea. Right, green tea is great for you to ingest. I know you drink a lot of tea. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's a great antioxidant, but the primary and primary antioxidant component, it's that EGCG, that's very water soluble, so it doesn't penetrate the skin very well. So you're saying all this time I've been soaking my hand in green tea, hasn't been doing anything? <laughs> it's good for your nails, I guess. <laughs> right. It's at least according to Madge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm all of dishwashing detergent. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, even if the superfood does contain uh, an ingredient that's beneficial to your skin, and even if that ingredient works when it's applied topically, it's still unlikely to provide any benefit just from using the superfood because there's, there's not enough there. So right. most products that contain an, uh, an extract of the superfood, I mean, first of all, they're, they're using an extract of the superfood. Secondly, that extract has the active component in at a very small level. So you end up with a very, very small amount of the stuff that really works. So an example here is vitamin C. You know, that works, that does work well when applied topically, as well as being right. good for you when you ingest it. But, uh, and we talked about this in a previous show, to be really effective, vitamin C uh, from, from a skin cream, vitamin C needs to be used at levels somewhere around, you know, 10 to 20%. Right. Well, superfoods contain a very small amount of vitamin C in comparison. So there's no way right, you'd get those yes. same benefits. Certainly not 10%. Right. right? Yeah. So if you want the benefits of a, of a goodie that's in superfood, then why wouldn't you just use that ingredient itself? Like in, in this case, use ascorbic acid as an ingredient in your formula versus trying to right. put in, I don't know, lemon peel or something that's going to give you, you know, a much less, uh, much more dilute amount. So overall, and, oh, and, go ahead. No, but and from a marketing standpoint, it's, it would cost, you could get the same marketing effect by if you took a big slug of vitamin C and then you put a drop of the superfood in there, you could do the and same And I think if, if you look at it, that's probably what a lot of companies are doing. So, so anyway, Yana, um, you know, we don't think there's much to this trend. That's not to say that any given ingredient can't have some benefit. You know, she asked about coconut oil. If you're using pure coconut oil on your hair, we know that's very good to help waterproof hair from the inside. So, you know, ultimately you have to look at each ingredient on, you know, as a case-by-case -case basis, but there's nothing unique about superfoods that would make them uh, create a better beauty product. Right. Absolutely. Stick to eating the superfoods. There you go. <laughs> All right. Our next question comes from Scott about an old product that we used to oh, work yeah. on. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see that this product is still kicking around. <laughs> So Scott says, I read really great reviews about VO5 conditioning hairdressing, and I'm curious to try it. I was wondering, will I be able to mix a dab of it with hair gel? I want to be able to add the products to my hair when it's still wet and then leave it in to air dry and set properly before I brush it out. Hmm. Well, VL5 hairdressing is a classic hair care product, and it was actually the one that started the company that Randy and I used That's to right. work for. It was the only product, yeah. And... Uh, we worked on that one for several years, and I was just reminiscing the other day that project we had with VO5 hairdressing, where we had to come up with alternative uses the, for hairdressing. The 101 <laughs> uses campaign. That's I, right. I wish I had a copy of that. I remember there were things like rubbing it on your baseball glove to keep it supple, uh, right. lubricating uh, door hinges, I remember. Door hinges, uh, putting on wood scratches Oh, okay. to cover yeah. up wood scratches. Oh. Yeah. Uh, putting it between your legs to prevent chafing while you're running and juggling. We, that that was, was years, I believe. 
I don't think that one won. Remember the consumer complaint letter we had about it was an I remember it was a, a senior citizen couple and they used it uh, as a uh, as a sexual lubricant. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I don't think yeah. I saw that. So one. there are at least 101 uses for VO5 hairdressing. Yeah. There was that complaint about the product where somebody f- just thought it was a conditioner and they used enough, like it was a regular conditioner and they couldn't oh, wash oh, it. Just it's so, yeah, the stuff is, I mean, maybe yeah. we should talk about the composition because it is pretty greasy. Right. The VO5 hairdressing is essentially it's five oils, right? It's petrolatum, it's lanolin, uh, mineral oil, it's, uh, was it PPG, some, some polymer oil or wax, and then... I forget the fifth ingredient. Uh, no matter. But the point about it is, is it's uh, really, uh, really oily, and it doesn't wash out of your hair very easily. Yeah. If, if you so, use too much. If you use too much. So it it's even says on the, the package, you use like a dime size, you know, tiny yeah. drop of it. So if you use the whole blob of it, like a regular rinse out conditioner, rubbed it through your hair. Yeah, that's that's not going to come out even in one shampooing, right. and you know you have to wash your hair four or five times to actually get that out. So, so but it's a really good product for conditioning your hair if you use the right amount. Mm. So let's get back to Scott's question. Hair gels are typically water based, right? So they include a thickening agent and then some kind of conditioning and holding polymer, right? right? So since hairdressing is oil-based and the gel is water-based, the two aren't going to really mix that well together. So that means you won't be able to pre-mix a bunch of it together. You know, even if you could pre-mix it, that's not a good idea because the preservative would be compromised if you're going to keep it for any length of time. But if you just want to mix a little dab together in the palm of your hand, then that won't be as much of a problem. I mean, it's not going to hurt your hair either, but... It may have kind of a funky consistency, and it may not dry properly, and it might be kind of tricky to spread through the hair. But, you know, that's the kind of thing you could experiment with, certainly. Yeah, I, you know, some of these do-it-yourself packs, you know, we've talked about these before. Some of them are, are really a bad idea based on the chemistry. Like if you were, you know, in some cases, you, you wouldn't want to mix, a let's say, a, a strong shampoo and conditioner together because the, the two kind of form an insoluble wax that could be a, kind of a gunk on your hair. But there's no such interaction here with mixing hairdressing and hair gel. And if you did it in the right proportions, you might be able to get kind of a unique feel for your hair. So I, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. I'd like be interested to yeah. see what you know what Scott's results are if he does try it. It would kind of be in the realm of something like a, a putty. A little or bit, yeah. Like it could that, be. Think, it, it depends yeah. on how much you mix together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, good luck, Scott. I got a, a follow-up question. So this oh, okay. was yeah, this was uh, back in episode 134 when we uh, answered a question from Little Tabby, uh, who wanted to know whether it was better to wash with shower gel or soap. And we, oh, yeah. Yeah, we pointed out that a good alternative could be Syndet bars, which stands for synthetic detergent bars. Uh, and those are very popular here in the US. Well, Right, I thought we did a fabulous job answering that question. Well, you know, uh, our British buddy Colin Sanders from Colin's Beauty Pages has a bit of, our, uh, of a rebuttal to our answer. What? Whoa! And, yeah, right. and uh, well, you know what? Let me just uh, let him explain this in his own words. In on the piece about whether soap or shower gels and liquid detergents are more irritating, one of the articles that the questioner was quoting was actually one of mine. So I feel a bit involved. First of all, I hadn't thought about Syndet bars at all when I wrote it. In my defence, Syndets are very rare here in Europe. 
for some reason or other, they've never really caught on. And this isn't for lack of trying. I think Dove Soap must be one of the biggest syndets going, and that's made by Unilever, who are an Anglo-Dutch company. And these guys certainly know how to sell stuff. And they've tried quite hard to make Dove as popular over here as it is in the United States. But they have never succeeded. At one point, they even delivered a free sample to most of the households in the United Kingdom, but it got nowhere. The Dove brand name has caught on, and there are a lot of Dove products over here, but the actual bar still only does miserable business. I don't think anybody has ever worked out the reason for this. My personal theory is that tablet soap in Europe, at least in the past, tended to use higher levels of palm oil as a feedstock than is traditionally used in America. And palm oil soaps have a denser and more satisfying foam, so maybe American soap just isn't as nice to use as the European equivalent, and so it's uh, not as good competition for the Syndex, but that's pure speculation. The other point I'd like to make is that formulating a shower gel or a liquid soap is basically a trade-off between cleaning power mildness and foaming. The formulator needs to balance these three qualities. But which balance is right is decided by the marketplace. It seems that the products that people want to buy tend to be the ones that foam well, clean okay and are a little bit irritating. Selling toiletries is a competitive business and you won't stay in business long if you don't give people what they want. I'd agree that Syndet's represent the best option from a technical point of view. It just isn't what most people buy when they're given the choice. But something Perry has often said is that cosmetics uh, is really becoming about niches. And there probably is room for a product that is really mild, even if it's not as good as the other products when it comes to foaming or cleaning. I'd like to see if uh, anybody ever takes me up on that. Thanks for indulging me and keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Colin. We do always uh, appreciate your contributions to the show. We do consider you an honorary beauty brain. There's, there's no <laughs> remuneration that goes with that, but we consider you honorary. Wait, wasn't he the guy you were trying to replace me with a couple of years back? <laughs> uh, that's still in negotiations. I can't discuss that. But anyway, so I just let me kind of summarize your key points, Colin, if I'm understanding you correctly. First of all, I, I did not know that Syndet bars had not caught on in, the, in Europe. I assumed they were everywhere, but... Perry and I do have a uh, North American-centric view of the world. I'll, I'll agree. Right. Understand. That. I think the term is Americentric. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and did, did I understand him correctly that he said uh, because Europe has traditionally used more palm oil that American soaps are not as good as European soaps? He, that's what he said, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, it sounds like he's throwing down right well, there. Well, I tell you, <laughs> I promise you right now, Perry and I will not stop until we make American soaps great again. I, we will even build a wall around the UK if necessary. But that is our, oh my. That is our promise to you. Uh, and then thirdly, I just wanted to comment on his, his uh, point about trade-offs, which I think is it's a very important point for consumers to know. It's that you know, mildness versus cleansing powder, power versus foaming ability. Uh, you have to kind of pick what's most important to you yeah. and then look for a product that delivers that the, the best way. So. Yeah, well, we really appreciate the input, uh, Colin, and, uh, you know, like to break up the yeah. voices on the show, too. Keep so that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, hey, before we get to our final question, let's do a quick iTunes shout out. We've got two more this week that we can read. 
Yeah, excellent. Well, I'll take the first one. Nikki Poo says, this podcast is such a great combination of entertainment and education. There are so many harmful myths going around social media today, and these guys do a great job at addressing these myths from a scientific perspective. Thanks for that. Very nice. Uh, Here's another one from Best in Breed, who says, I love you snarky guys. (laughs) (laughs) As a professional pet groomer, I have learned so much about not only what I use on myself, but what I use on my dogs as well. Thank you, guys. We have answered a couple of questions about dog shampoos over the years. I remember that. Not Certainly not our area of expertise, but... Right. I mean, we did have that brief uh, defunct blog, uh, the cosmetics for cats and critters, <laughs> but it just never really quite took off. I still think that's a good idea, damn it. <laughs> All right, Randy, let's get to the last question here. All right. This one comes from Yimmy from Thailand. They said She says... Uh, My question is about the semi-permanent makeup trend that is buzzing in Asia right now. There's a tattoo, there's an eyebrow tattoo gel, which you apply thick gel layers on your brows for a night and then peel them off in the morning and then poof, you get eyebrows that last for a week. Are such products safe and how do they work? Well, this is a great question, and you know, I always love it when we get a question that we've never really yeah, heard I was, of the product yeah, I was before. Not familiar thing. With you. <laughs> right, so so we get educated <laughs> while we can look at the things here. Yeah. So I, I looked at the Etude House product that you asked about, and I was surprised to see that it is, in fact, a very clever formulation. You know, usually these things are just marketing BS, and it's the same thing. Well, just it's just it's like a little way, pigment, right? and it stains right. your eyebrows a little bit, but that that's right. it. Yeah, but instead of relying on standard eyebrow colorants, which would just wash off, this product uses DHA, which is the same active used in sunless tanners. Dihydroxyacetone. Yeah. So essentially, you're tanning, or more accurately, you're staining the skin underneath your eyebrows. So no wonder it's going to last for a week, right? And as long as you don't get the product in your eyes, it, it should be safe. I mean, we'll have to, to wait and see if it catches on here in the U.S. Yeah, or around the world. I, but uh, uh, yeah, this could be a trend. I do think they, they may be limited by the colors that you get from the uh, self-tanning products. You know, it's in that orange-brown family, so it's not going to be for everybody. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a clever use of that ingredient. And I don't, to my knowledge, there are no restrictions around using that um, around the area of the eye. So I think it would be okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so I look forward to products like that coming over uh, here. Just one more example of how uh, Eastern Europe is the most innovative place on the planet for cosmetic. East? No, not Eastern Europe. What did I say? Uh, Eastern Eastern Asia. Asia. Sorry, (laughs) sorry, not Europe. Wait, Europe is Eastern Asia. Uh, Yeah, I think so. You know, in the business, we just call it Asia Pacific. (laughs) Sorry about that. All right. Well. If you have any beauty questions, we always take new beauty questions. So how, how would people uh, give us a beauty question? It is Randy? so easy. All you have to do is, uh, the, our preferred path is that you record your voice on your smartphone and email that to us at thebeautybrains@gmail.com. If you're too shy to have your voice on the show, though, you can also just email your question. You can tweet us. You can leave it on uh, our Facebook page. However you want to get in touch with us, we will try our best to answer your questions. All right, that's excellent. We look forward to getting your questions and recording another show in the upcoming week. All right, and until then, remember, everybody, be brainy about your beauty.